0: Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The text for today is from the Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 10th chapter. But dear friends in Christ, I think Martha gets a bad rap. She does. She's kind of like Doubting Thomas in a way. You know, Doubting Thomas, the guy who says, well, unless I put my hands in his wrist, and I put my hand in his side. I will never believe that my Lord is resurrected. And then, of course, he has that opportunity. And and Thomas gives a confession of faith that is greater than any doubt he could have had. My Lord and my God. We don't remember him for the confession. We remember him for the doubt. And Martha, I think, gets a bad rap, too, because we don't remember her for serving her Jesus as well as she did. We remember her for complaining about her sister, which, as any parent can tell you, never, ever stops. Why is it that we remember that about Martha? It's because I don't know that we completely understand what's going on in this text. It's not bad that Martha is serving Jesus. It's not bad. In fact, it is good. In fact, it is expected that she do so. Jesus comes into town and we have this understanding that Jesus knows Mary and Martha and Lazarus. They might have been cousins of some kind or they might have been friends like their families knew each other and went into Jerusalem every year together. Whatever it is, there's some understanding. They already know each other. But besides that fact, Jesus, Martha sees and welcomes him into her house. There is an entire theology of hospitality that is going on here. And it's good. Martha needs to be hospitable. And if she doesn't, it is not only an insult to the guest, but it is an insult to God. After all, Notice what happened to Abraham when three strangers, three visitors came to him in where he was. And what does he do? He gives the best he can to them. And by the way, those three strangers, those three visitors should not be understood as the three persons of the Trinity. Just get that out of your mind. I've heard that way too often. I want to correct you on that. That's not the three persons of the Trinity. The Father and the Spirit never take on human bodies or the shape of them anywhere in Scripture. So we shouldn't expect that. Instead, we know that one of those visitors is certainly the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, the pre-incarnate Christ, and the other two, most likely, it seems, are angels in some way, shape, or form. Either that or there's some dudes that Jesus picked along up along on the side of the road. Whatever it is, notice what Abraham does. Notice what Sarah does. They take the best and they make it. They make cakes for these three visitors. And then... See that Abraham takes the best calf from his flock and gives it up, has it prepared. And I don't know if you've ever had fresh meat before, but there is just something different about fresh meat. I'm not saying Abraham had a refrigerator that he could pull anything out of, but it is the best. They were expected to take care of the visitors. Martha is expected to take care of Jesus. As the female head of the household, that's her job in this culture. Not saying that you all have to do that if someone comes over, but I'm saying in this culture, that's what's expected. Where does she go wrong? Notice... What happens? She's distracted. So Luke tells us she is distracted with much serving. Now, I don't think it's the idea that she's just distracted from Jesus. I think that it's actually she's distracted with the thought that Mary isn't doing it with her. Her problem isn't that she's serving. Her problem is that she's trying to take Mary away from the feet of Jesus. She's distracted. She should be making cakes and slaughtering calves and who knows what else she is good at cooking. And all she can think of is not, my Jesus is here. I'm going to give him everything I have and everything I am. It pleases me to no end to do this. All she can think of. I can't believe Mary's not helping me need. Look at Mary sitting over there, that lazy woman. I can't believe she's not helping me wash these pots and pans. Mary, what a lazy coward wanting to stay away from me and my anger. She's not helping me at all. And so the anger builds up inside of her, and she comes up to Jesus, and you can just feel the anger seething out of her. Lord, don't you care that my sister's left me to serve alone? You're holy, you're righteous. You know what's supposed to be done for the guest. Why aren't you holding her to the standard that is set forth in the Word of God, the one that you so plainly preach each and every time you can? And if you do care, then get off your butt and tell her to help me. Now, notice why Martha gets the bad rap then not because she's serving it's because she cannot see what's right in front of her face what is that it's Jesus and the fact that he's there for her Jesus doesn't look at her and rebuke her Jesus doesn't call her out in that moment on her sin, though certainly that's implied. Jesus doesn't berate her for doing what Mary, for not doing what Mary is doing. Instead, you can hear the compassion. You can see the gentleness in his eyes as Jesus says, Martha, Martha. And there's something beautiful about when the Lord says, your name think of Jesus at the resurrection thinking that he was the gardener Mary turned and looked at him and said if you just tell me what you've done with him I will go to him and looking at her the man says Mary and she says upon I and grasps onto Jesus's feet Something in the way that he says a name. That he makes a claim on you. That all of a sudden he pulls you out of your distraction, out of your anger, out of your jealousy, and he puts you right in front of him. And in any other situation, when a king calls you in front of him, you better be fearing for your life. But when Jesus says your name, it's not because he's there to hurt you or punish you, but it is to love you. And so in love, he brings her back. Martha, Martha, listen to me. You are anxious and you are troubled. Both true things, yes? about many things, but one thing is necessary. You are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Now, we just sang that hymn, one thing is needful. That hymn was written for this passage completely. Like there's almost no other word of God that's in that except for this. But did you notice, what's the one thing needful? You sang about it. Did you get it? I'm going to think, maybe not. Because it's something simple we pass over. And we pass over it because we now look at Mary in some kind of juxtaposition to Martha. Because Jesus then says to Martha, Mary's chosen the good portion which won't be taken away from her. And in our brains, we automatically make the assumption, Martha, you've chosen the bad portion. It doesn't say that. He doesn't say, well, there's good and there's bad, and Mary got the good and you got the bad. But in our brains, that's what we do, and that's why we give Martha this bad name. It's not that Martha's chosen a bad portion either, except that she has tainted it with her sin. The one thing needful is right in their midst. And Mary sees it. The one thing needful is Jesus. That's the one thing needful. Not to sit down at his feet, not to be listening, not to be meditating, not to be working around him. The one thing needful is Jesus. All those are good things, but the one thing needful is Jesus. That's the good portion. We want to give Martha that bad name because we want to sit there and think, well, all I have to do then is sit at the feet of Jesus and hear everything and I should be good to go. But if we're all Marys, nothing gets done. Not one thing gets done. In the church, we call this the doctrine of vocation. This means that you have a calling from God himself to you to serve someone else in a way that only you can. That's what vocation is. It could be uh, as a husband to a wife and only you get to serve that person as a, as a husband. It could be as a father or a mother to children, and only you get to serve those children as parents. It could be as a friend, and only you get to serve your neighbor as a friend like you. It could be as an employee to an employer, and only you can do the work that God has given you at this very time to do for your boss could be a thousand million different things, but God has given you a calling that we say is your vocation. And what this really means is, well, I don't know about you, but I've never had God appear personally in front of me bodily. And people who tend to think that they have, we see as a little bit crazy. So, That's not the way that God normally operates. And in fact, if you think about it, God is only present bodily in the entire history of this earth for somewhere between 30 and 40 years. So what does he do in the rest of that time? You see, God wants to serve you. And he wants to serve your neighbor's. He wants to serve every person who has lived, who is living, and who will live. And yet God still is not here bodily, so what does he do? He gives us each a vocation. And so literally, when you are doing the work toward your neighbor, you are serving that person the way that God would have you serve them. The way that God himself Would desire to serve them the way that if God were in front of you, this is what he would be doing to you. That's what vocation is. And all of us have this. And all of us have it in our personal lives and professional lives. And all of us have it in this church. We're all gifted in many and various different ways. And that's good. Some of us are called to praise. Some of us are called to pray. Some of us are called to give in an overabundance of what we would normally expect. Some of us are called to serve with our hands. Some of us are called to serve with our feet. Some of us do just about everything. But we all have a vocation in this church. If we all just said, all I want to do is show up and be fed, which is not a bad thing to be fed. But all I want to do is do this, and I'm going to leave, and I'm going to go on my way. Then we'd all be, well, silly-nillies. And that's a very, very pleasant way of saying what we actually are, because really then every church would fail And every church would falter because there's no one building up the brethren. All you're doing is taking for yourself and we're not giving it out either to each other or to the world. I mean, and if we're all Marthas, well, then no one of us knows anything. If we're all so busy and distracted with serving that we can't even give ourselves to actually be here when Jesus is now present. That's a big problem, too. What I'm going to tell you is. Be like Mary this morning. And yes, I know that many of our people are working the service and stuff like that. But take the opportunity, those of you who are still and you who are in the pews, be fed this morning by sitting at the feet of Jesus. And when the time comes for you to work, get busy working. But don't confuse the two. Don't look down on people who are around you doing the work of Martha. And don't look down at the people around you who are doing the work of Mary. It may come at different times than what you expect it to come as. And yet still, the Lord is good and gracious. What do you do if you mess up? What if you Martha when you're supposed to marry? What if you're Mary when you're supposed to Martha? And yes, I just use their names as verbs. Uh, what do you do? The beauty of who we are gathered around this morning and why we're gathered here tells us that there is something Bigger than ourselves. And I don't just mean physically, but I mean all encompassingly bigger. And that is the cross of Christ for you. You are going to fail in your vocations. I know I am not always the best husband, I am not always the best father, I am certainly not always the best pastor. I know that in the vocations that I have to serve my people, that I mess up all the time. And when we mess up, what we do is we call that what it is, sin. And what has been done to my sin, what has been done to your sin, it has been crucified with Christ. Your sin has been taken away from you and you have been given the righteousness of Christ. Jesus doesn't see you as the failure you are when you sin. But instead he sees you as a redeemed child. And in fact he says I forgive your sins. Go back and do it again. He doesn't say do it over. Keep doing it. Do what's in front of you. And as the Christian what the beautiful thing is about this cross of Jesus. Where he has died and been resurrected and now ascended at the hand of the father. The beautiful thing is that you don't need to have any fear about failing. You don't need to fear that you aren't Marthaing enough. And you don't need to fear that you aren't marrying enough. Instead, Jesus looks at you and says, Do not be anxious. Let not your heart be troubled. I forgive you. I forgive you. This is what Jesus is pointing Martha to. And this is what he is pointing you to this morning. That he forgives your sins. And not just this weird forgiveness where we go, well, that's very nice. Thank you, Jesus. But he forgives your sins by coming in front of you, by bringing to you his word, by bringing to you the sacrament, by going into your bodies and renewing you from the inside out unto everlasting life. What's the one thing needful? It's Jesus. It's Jesus always and Jesus always. For you. That's the one thing needful. Give Martha the honor that Jesus gives you. Don't look down on her for this. Martha's busy serving, and she was doing exactly where she needed to be. But see, Just as Martha, your sin. And see it being taken away from you by your Jesus. Because that is the state of each and every one of you. And if you don't believe me, come to the altar. Eat Jesus here. And drink Jesus here. Know that he's with you. Know that he forgives you. And know that he will see you to the end of all life and into the life which never ends. In Jesus' name, amen. Now may the peace of God, which passes all human understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.